Welcome to Lamestream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Twitter at Scavendish. If you like the show, rate, review, subscribe. Do something horrible to a subscribe button. Smash it, kill it, pound it, <laughs> do something to it. But uh, tell, uh, tell a few people that you're listening to us. That's all we ask. <laughs> uh, Lamestream, where we encourage violence. To the subscribe, but only the subscribe button is only the subscribe button, not to your fellow man. So no media topics on the show today. Just you and I, Steve. Uh, Recommendations will be later on, but it'll be abbreviated because our returning champion, Stephen Godfrey of (laughs) where does he work? Really? Like, I don't even know where he works. Like, does he what, Uh, what what does he do these days? SB Nation, he's uh, he's doing he's going to do some video work for an outfit of theirs called Secret Base. Uh, he's just one of the best college football uh, reporters around. He's just a great guy. So the reason, of course, we have him on is we have name, image, and likeness already activated in a handful of states. We've got expansion coming out. We've got the transfer portal. Uh, we've got Supreme Court rulings and reporting on all of it. So we thought nobody better to have conversations about all of these things than Stephen Godfrey. And we talked about all of this stuff for about an hour. <laughs> so so <laughs> Stephen is not short on opinions, not short on philosophies, and not short on information. You will have a great time listening to this interview. So uh, cannot wait to get to it. And we'll get to it very, very quickly here. But of course, Lamestream is brought to you by... Jaspers, always Jaspers. Just like we are the next evolution of the podcast, they are the next evolution of the sports bar. Uh, except for I charge people to park at my house. Uh, that's the difference. I, I will wow. charge. I will charge you. Oh yeah, everybody's got to get there, Steve. I will charge you to park at my house. No, um, free parking at Jaspers. Great menu, great food. Went and had some firecracker wings and a Creole roll, and you had a burger the other day while we watched England beat the Germans. Uh, at Jasper's and, um, you, you know, Tim Sullivan of Club and Country popped by to say hello. So uh, we're always at Jasper's, man. So there's there's lots of reasons to go in there. The good food, the free parking, the air conditioning, the cold beer. Also, you just never know who you're going to see in there. Adam Vingan's in there all the time uh, from, from the Athletic and the Gold Standard pod. So you just never know. You just never know who's going to be there. So go to Jasper's. Just always go to Jasper's. Just stick your head in every now and then just to make sure <laughs> make sure nothing's you're not missing anything. And if you don't want to eat there, just go to the grab and go market and you can grab something and then go. So, uh, all right. I don't think we need to, to, to sort of introduce Stephen Godfrey anymore. Um, we will let him do the talking. We covered a whole range of subjects, a lot of SEC stuff, a lot of media stuff, a lot of college football stuff. And Stephen is brilliant. And uh, here was our conversation with the great Stephen Godfrey. Welcome to the show, Stephen Godfrey, our returning champion. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? We are doing wonderfully. Uh, media Day is just a week or just a month away, so we'll get your thoughts on what's about to transpire. Don't do that. College it's, just, it, it's, just a, it's just a countdown to, to SEC Media I know, Days I at know. this point. So, I, no, I he, to... said a, he said a week and I twitched. <laughs> my, my apologies, sir. My apologies. Um, oh, so, b- basically, you've been covering this sport for a long time. So have I. And I, I just think that it, we got a lot of stories to get to today on the show. And I think if any of them have hap- had happened mm-hmm. individually over the last 10 years, they would be pretty massive stories. But they've all sort of all happened at the same time. Right. And I don't, I don't think that's an accident. We'll get your thoughts on why that's all taking place. But let's start first with the expansion news. Apparently, a four-team, wor- a four-person working group kept this under wraps for two years. We are under the assumption that you have access to all four of those people as a source. Not to blow up your spot here, Stephen. Um, but 
how is it possible that the, that those four guys working on such an important thing in college football were able to keep it quiet? And then Jack Swarbrook of Notre Dame able to brag about it being kept quiet for that long. How did that happen? Because it hides in plain sight. Also, for the record, I'm sourced with people who do illegal things. My sources are <laughs> disreputable. Like, I prefer I prefer the dirt doers, not the people in the boardroom doing worse shit. So, um, they, no, that didn't surprise me that it stayed it stayed silent because no one no one thought to look. You know, when, usually things turn up when reporters go out and look, and and they they're exploratory committees. You know, that are not founded, what's the word I'm looking for, actioned out. I mean, this kind of stuff happens all the time uh, in in the corporate world. And that's basically the way the CFBP operates. So I wasn't shocked that it stayed quiet. Um, I do like how they think that they, that like the way I've read coverage of this, it was as if they were like, you know, the scene in Apollo 13 where they dumped the shit on the table and they're like, we have to solve the oxygen problem on the spaceship or everyone's (laughs) going to die. Like, you made a 12 team playoff. This wasn't exactly like there was no crisis solved here. I love the drama that are afforded to these people. It just, the, the, the three of us can make it to a 12 team format in, in, in 10 minutes. This is not the kind of uh, rocket science surgery shit that they continued to, to, to push it out as that always makes me laugh. When, when you're trying to report on something like this, uh, is there would there have been a way if people started banging around on it to to get this story out there or if these four guys essentially wanted to keep it locked down they could keep it locked down how would you how would you- i think with four i think with four steve like i think with four you could yeah you know anytime you start inserting people coming in and out of a situation or a committee or any kind of study is usually when someone in the media is able to latch on because it's four people that's a pretty good I mean, look, any any good any, any good member of organized crime will tell you that, like, you know, three's company. So I, I think when you're doing something like this, keeping it keeping it tight and keeping it sealed, again, it's four individuals, which, um, yeah, I still kind of roll my eyes like they were working on some sort of like a uh, high tech scientific formula. But at the same time, uh, I will say this. Now, here's another risk you run when you are doing what they did for as long as they did. If you go out into the field so to speak, anywhere out. It, it could be in any aspect of this. It could be uh, it could be television programming. It could be the sponsorship route. It could be the logistics route. So you're talking to facilities, facilities management or uh, in this case, maybe some of the bowl committees, the individual bowls in, in terms of, hey, what just, in other words, if I called you up and I was a high ranking individual in college athletics or just someone with some clout and I said, hey, what would it look like if we did the Peach Bowl a week before Christmas? Just, just ask him. So that's the kind of stuff where when that individual who, who fields that question goes and talks to someone, maybe they know locally, they say, you know, I got the strangest question today. So-and-so called me and asked about, could I do this? And that's usually, that's, that's usually how a string falls off and then reporters go and pull on it that way. Um, so, so that, that was, so that would sort of imply that these guys didn't have to really ask anybody in order to do this. <laughs> I mean, that that's so like, I haven't, I haven't really poured over it. I've, I've read a couple of the pieces that, you know, I've kind of been uh, on vacation, but like, yeah, it did kind of crack me up. Where like, this is, this really was a series of whiteboard meetings. It was a series of like, Hey, let's get together and get some coffee and bagels and, you know, sit in the conference room and, and brainstorm. That's it. Um, it. It was really no different than the kind of like, the kind of meetings that they that these um 
these third party groups now do to like to interview coaches during silly season. It's the same thing. It's like hotel ballroom. Everyone flies to a, to like a, a neutral city with a big airport uh, and, and and big hotels around there. Like like I think I've said this on the show before. The Atlanta Marriott is like in the Atlanta Hilton at the airport. It's it's kind of they, they kind of follow that formula. Well, it's not unlike the uh, picking of your vice president candidate during a campaign, right? Like, don't, no, fly into any, no. don't fly into any main airports, fly into random small towns, meet in random small, don't wear your aviators, Joe, when Obama was picking you, that kind of thing. I, I, I will say, though, you know, you're absolutely right. It's not rocket science here. They're, they're, not, they're not curing cancer by, by putting together a correct, but I, I, I'm just, you never underestimate their ability to fuck it up. And they did with the bowl game. So what part of them sort of putting this out there when they did in the middle of the, the summer, knowing that there's going to be like an, a round of meetings and then another round of meetings in July, and then it's not really sure. going to be decided on for a year. Like how much of this is them actually being relatively intelligent and allowing the court of public opinion to sort of massage their decision-making, or is that just purely a, a PR ploy by them? So I want to tell you a little story. This is my theory. I was standing at Big 12 Media Days when I still used to staff all the individual events. And this was, I don't know, 17, 18, something like that, right? And every single person was talking about what was going on at Baylor. And we were hammering Bob Bowlesby. It was a group of national reporters, probably eight or nine of us. And it was after Bob Bowlesby goes on the dais and sort of does his introductory, like, here's the state of the union, the Big 12. And then they just start pounding. I mean, we're just pounding them on, like, has there been any discussion of actually removing Baylor from the conference? Because this was, if you remember, this was discussed. This was something that was floated by other schools. The Big 12 is not as concrete and it's it's, it's not as religious in its formation in terms of do- almost almost a doctrine approach of the way the SEC is. So that they will kick your ass out as, as quickly as they bring you in, unless you're Texas. And this is being discussed. And you know what magically happened? Do you know what magically happened in the middle of that? Bob Bowlesby just happened to let it slip that they were going to vet expansion candidates. Isn't that amazing, guys? In the middle of a, a sideways shitstorm of a PR nightmare, going in and talking about Baylor and everything that was going on with the Bryles staff and with Ian McCaw and everyone else at Baylor who worked to cover all of the sexual assault uh, cases up, they magically said one of the keyword phrases that's like a dog whistle to, to sports media, which is expansion expansion oh my god wait what we get to play our little hypothetical games and do our our you know we get to to do our little fantasy thing and then all of a sudden the attention was diverted so if you ask me and i've now grown into a full-fledged cynic having done this long enough uh, i think that the tenor and the tone of this industry was leaning in a way in which they said all right we like we have to reorient this conversation and Going back to talking about hypothetical playoff scenarios is as bread and butter hype. It tricks everyone, myself included, into going back and sort of certifying the sport, right? And talking about the sport, which we haven't talked about the sport in over, over almost two years at this point, when you talk about everything that happened last year in the pandemic. So I thought, I thought it was an interesting sleight of hand because there's no reason to do it in June. And also, Read the press release and then read it again. Actually, read it back with it. Read it backwards. What I mean by that is like start read the paragraphs and go back up. Are we gonna find like uh, like satanic lyrics in there or something? No, there's just <laughs> nothing. The, 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 there's a way, and Steve, you know this. Like as a reporter, there's they didn't do anything. They said they had a recommendation. That's it. Like 
they didn't do anything. So why are they releasing all of this right now in the dead of summer? What what is the what is the ultimate goal here? And I think it's it's pretty obvious is they want to reestablish some narrative about the actual sport, given everything that we've gone through in the last two years. So uh, uh, let's talk about something that's going to be like about the actual sport, which is going back into the fall. Everybody's going to have to have some kind of COVID protocol. What do what do you think these things are gonna are gonna look like? Are they gonna be conference to conference? Are these gonna be something coming down like overarching from the NCAA? Can they can the NCAA even do that? What's what's it gonna look like, and and what's gonna happen the first time there's kind of an outbreak? The interesting thing to me is going to be this. So this scenario was exactly why everyone avoided conference intra conference play last year, out of conference play, right? That's why everyone started their season and basically said we're gonna shrink down to a ten game, eight game, four game schedule, whatever. Um, that, that's what I'm most interested in because what happened last year was the only real non-conference games that you saw at the highest level were big time P5s, excuse me, in like the, in like the big 12, for instance, they got to schedule the one game. If you remember, they got like the one scrub game. And what they did was they had those visiting teams adhere to their conference policy. And they, and in certain instances, I don't know if this was universal or not, or if the big 12 told its members to do this. They they would foot the bill for extra testing, extra procedural. So in other words, usually the higher up you went, there were more. So a good rule of thumb last year was the more the 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 more the money the conference makes, the more frequent there were tests, the more frequent there was uh, some kind of, you know, usually a Friday swab or a midweek swab. They 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 could afford to do that. And by the way, the numbers on this stuff it's hundreds of thousands of dollars a week for these programs to do this kind of stuff. I don't think people realize what lab tests cost. So I think you will see a conference by conference approach, but they will have to have some sort of unified strategy because the, they, they know how much revenue they lost last year in not playing these games at the neutral sites, like the, basically the Labor Day weekend games. And they're not going to avoid that because they can't get it together on some sort of agreement on medical policy. What happened in Omaha, I think is a very unique situation where there was a centralized standard. And I will say this, ironically, this is the one deregulated sport in terms of central authority because the postseason doesn't run through Indianapolis. They usually actually find solutions faster than Indianapolis does, just for what it's worth. Shockingly. Um, Amazing. Well, I want to tie this COVID thing in with all the other stuff you were just talking about, sort of amazingly, the expansion conversation comes around to sort of distract us from all these other things that are taking place, transfer portal, name, image, and likeness, player empowerment, you know, whatever you want to include in the, in all of that stuff, right. Mm -hmm. um, legislation, Supreme court ruling, that's taking a sledgehammer to the amateur model, all this stuff that's happening. I, I get them wanting to sort of distract from that message inherently because they think like a bunch of old, powerful people because they are a bunch of old, powerful people. My question, and we'll get to coaches in just a second on this. M my question is, I, isn't there a lot of misinformation being peddled by like old coaches or, you know, certain media members who don't, who sort of long for the, the old days of your and college football, like it, what couldn't the NCAA and all these people just lean in to all of these changes and say, look, your experience as a fan is not going to change at all, but we're going to we'll look, we're, we're just looking out for the athletes a little bit more. Like, isn't there, a, isn't there a PR strategy there that could have, they don't have to go use this giant 
you know, distracting thing. Does that make sense? Like, couldn't they just have leaned into all this and said, look, guys, you're still going to sit in the same section of your favorite stadium and cheer for your same team exactly the way you have for 50 years? There's no incentive to do that. I'm not saying like your theory is 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 valid. And, and you would assume, again, like in the in the corporate world, you 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 see, well, there's more incentive to pivot. These people have never had to play by these rules before, right? Because they've had every they've they've had control of every part of the apparatus. They don't understand how to to pivot. They don't understand how look our revenue model is going to change. Uh, how we market this is going to change. They've been making the same widget since they invented that it being a widget and, and and were able to profit off of it back when they were trying to out you know outlaw the the wedge because it was giving people concussions and killing them. That's what they claim. That's why they formed the NCAA. So. Yes, your theory is great. It just doesn't. It, it's it, they've never been prompted to behave like this, and so until you, until you see a fundamental sea change in leadership by generation, which is going to happen ten or fifteen years from now, if not longer, no, they're going to do the least amount required until the absolute last minute. That's the way Emirates has oper- operated throughout all of this, and, and did so right after Austin came down. I think it was within within twenty four hours of Austin, he turns around and says. We really need a unified policy on the NIL. Well, no shit. We've been doing this for two years. I, I think they were waiting because they thought they had a puncher's chance with when they went to SCOTUS. I, I really do. I think that they thought they could get away with it because, again, you know, we well, we shake our heads now. If you go back and look at the previous rulings, you know, the one in 84, the one in the 60s, I can't remember the, the exact date, they were incredible. Like those courts were incredibly favorable to the NCAA. Like, like, I mean, just stupidly so. A colleague of mine, Matt Brown, has a great newsletter, Extra Points, and he, he like broke out all the details on, on the verbiage that was afforded the NCAA by the higher courts. That's why they were able to operate with such, you know, carte blanche and avoid any kind of, you know, antitrust. They, that, that, that concept of them hasn't existed until last week. They, they, they literally operated outside of the laws of, of normal business because they were afforded. I mean, it was much like them. Look, I, I've made this joke before and people laugh at me. They kind of thought they were a church because they kind of got to be told that they were a church in terms of the legal framework of how you can conduct business and, and revenue and that kind of stuff. In terms of if, if they're going to be as conservative as possible, uh, do you think that's going to create like a market opportunity here for, for different schools kind of along the way uh, to be more aggressive in terms of name and image, uh, kinds of kinds of issues, and 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 use it as as an attractor for recruits. Yes, I can give you a couple forecasts based on just based solely on my opinion, having done the job for a little while. If they screw this up, the NCAA specifically, and they try and over enforce at the, at the outset, and they try and pull back. Uh, in terms of the volume, both in dollars or both in the frequency of however they want to create the language on restriction on on these NIL deals. If they do that, they run for for the first time. I've never said this before. For the first time, I think they run the risk of the power five just saying, nah, we're done. We don't actually need you. We don't actually operate with like, like this is, this has been a little bit of a gentleman's agreement for the last couple of years. And now you don't control our postseason. You don't even control our scheduling. Essentially, all they really do is enforcement. And there's always been, 
a bully pulpit that was given to the presidents to sort of say, hey, we want all these sports under the NCAA. I think that's going to change because the presidents understand the financial value of football. So I think if they if they overextend on enforcement of NIL, now you have to enforce it somehow. I'm not saying that it should just be the Wild West. But if they are dumb and naive enough to go in and look at Princeton, Louisiana Monroe, and Bama as the same things, which is which is the way the language is set up right now. Okay. When you talk about enforcement, there are a couple differences that I just named, but not many. You know, Princeton's in the FCS, but I mean, I could have said James Madison or something like that in terms of number of scholarships. Yeah, there's some minor differences. But the way the NCAA is set up, and it's part of that sort of like feigned naivete, because this is just amateurism, is that it what the NCAA wants to tell you is that it does not matter that some of these schools have an operating budget of 91, 125, 330 million dollars, and some of these budgets are actually in the red, somewhere under underneath a single a single million dollars. Nowhere, nowhere else in the world, especially in America, would we operate like that if this was if this was deemed business, if this was the business world. We would not compare companies like that. That's not how it would work. We would not regulate companies like that. That's not how our tax brackets work. So um, if they push that, I think what you're so you saw uh, the phrase autonomy five pop up, right? You guys saw that you saw that in press releases. You're starting to see conference commissioners in the P5 say that. And then Mike Oresco is like clawed on the back <laughs> and just be like, no, it's six. Um, that that was surprising uh, to me because because you can now see that you that's a that's less a chess move to me. And that's more of um, a military exercise, right? When you display the strength. And you just let it be known, like, we're going to gather all our troops in the square to show you exactly what kind of force we have. I think that is what they're doing. And by the way, for what it's worth, I do think, I think the AAC has a good chance at going on that side of the fence. Because to me, inevitably, I know I'm filibustering, we're going to break this thing in half. Like, I think you're you're going to have a top tier, a mid tier and a low tier. I do. I I see, I see three, three tiers coming. We, we we already have them uh, because you, as you just laid it all out, the, the I'd, I'd like to see what the SEC's intercontinental ballistic, ballistic missile you know display looks like at at the Sun Belt just to see what that would would look like. Bringing all of this together though, to Steve's question, to your point about leadership needing probably a decade to sort of get us through this period to the next period. If I'm a coach that sort of gets this, and and you can give us the names of coaches you think that understand how to market in the new you know, sort of inside the new guardrails, would you not be reaching out to every person like yourself, all the national media people, all the local media people to say, like, look at us, look what we're doing. We're, you know, again, you can tell us which coaches you think are doing it the best, but Nebraska's got open source, you know, deals already in place contracts. You got states that are putting legislation in place faster than others. Wouldn't this be an opportunity to use the media to help, grow your brand and, and compete at a higher level? I mean, isn't that? Yeah, I think you'll see that. You're, you're, I think you're going to see that. And it's going to, it's not going to start with people like me. It's not going to start with, with, with the, the colleagues I have on the national level. It's not, it's not going to start with the New York times. And it's not going to start with sports illustrated. It's going to start with two, four, seven. It's going to start with rivals. And it's going to start with the other ones. Like it's going to start at the recruiting level. It is. It just is. It's that they're going to reach out. The reason why it hasn't happened yet is they don't know what they can say. Okay. So like in Nashville, 
I'll give you a real, real local joke. Like you build a garage on your property. Is it, is it a freestanding property? Do you go in front of the city or do you just, Hey, do you just build a closet that happens to turn into a toilet after the inspector leaves? Right. <laughs> that, Hey, that metaphor is exactly what's going on right now at the money institutions. Okay. So not middle Tennessee state, but in Knoxville, absolutely. They already, ha they have this thing ready. The problem is they don't know what they can say. They don't even know what they can technically offer. So what they've done is they've all quietly commissioned their own studies internally and worked with third-party companies. It's probably been a very good time to be some BS marketing branding firm, especially if you're in places like Atlanta, Orlando, or Dallas, where you're around a lot of college football programs. I bet there's some people making some sweet-ass money right now doing some consulting. Because these departments are already set up. I know for a fact they're set up at three different SEC schools. They're ready to go. They just got to wow, pull the sheet down and go into operation. The problem is the governing body hasn't they, – they, no one above knows what the, to do. So it's like this is this is the problem. They, look, your instinct is right here. They're going to promote the hell out of this. They just don't know what they can say and when because they don't want to run afoul of recruiting violations. Because they don't, no one wants to be the last school that gets popped in the dying days of NCAA enforcement. <laughs> carry a carry a ban into the new era. I mean, like, yeah, think about like so, so who, Tennessee. Who wants to be the last? Who wants to be the last soldier shot on the battlefield before it ends? You know, like, yeah. I mean, and and that's the other thing too is they're going to have to. These are big, broad solutions. This kind of reminds me a little bit of like the argument of defund the police. You haven't really thought this, like your intentions might be noble and certainly your motivations are understandable, but you haven't thought this through. I haven't heard an argument yet that is salient enough to carry through all the major hypotheticals. And the problem with the power five slash six saying, okay, we, we're divorcing, we're leaving. You know, I declare the no longer, we are no longer under jurisdiction. What are you going to do? Cause you have to have some kind of enforcement. Even I'll say that. And I've been the, probably the most outspoken critic of NCAA enforcement since I've been doing this job, but you have to have something. You have to have some sort of regulatory body. This is not libertarian to its bone because it would be a disaster. I had someone ask me last week, they're like, so what did like people just stop cheating after all this? And I'm like, are you kidding? This is America. <laughs> this is America. They're just going to find new and better ways to cheat. I mean, no, Lord. If you're if you're putting bets on uh, say three programs you think are going to be the most aggressive in this area, who who who's it going to be? I think the easiest way to look at it is to just take those budgets that like the USA Today table and just work from the top down. So it's exact. It's all the usual suspects. So Alabama will be ready. LSU will be ready. Uh, certainly the Texas programs and on you go. I think Notre Dame is. This could be a a, a very this could be advantageous for the Irish. My party line this entire time has been like, it's not going, like no one's going to benefit or suffer from this who would not, like it's not going to change any pecking orders. That's what I've tried to say about NIL, at least to the fans who are like, well, this is all crap. The kids aren't going to play for passion anymore. I was like, mm, I never did. You're full of shit and old. But <laughs> where you are on the chain is probably where you're going to be under NIL. I do think if you have a national brand, you are going to be better positioned to help actually brand your student. That makes sense. So I think even in 2021, we still consider the Notre Dame brand to transcend region, right? There's a ubiquity to that. 
I think you could say the same thing about a lot of other schools with state names in them, like Alabama. I think there's a certain national identity that you have coming from Alabama, but just by virtue of the fact that they put so many guys in the NFL that people, you know, wherever you go in the country, people know what Alabama football is. So, um, and then as you go on further down the line, yeah, it's going to be, you're going to have a success rate that I think is probably commiserate with like what kind of program you are and how much money you have. Could I could I ask to go a little bit more nuanced with that? Because I do think there are a couple of I mean, I, I tend to agree with you in general that the pecking order is not going to change all that much. If you have a lot of money and power, you're going to have a lot of money and power equaling success down the road. But there are a couple of fan bases that for whatever reason, geography, history, whatever, bad decision making that have these incredibly passionate fan bases, meaning the players would be marketable but not as much success. And like Nebraska is one of them. And in the SEC, for example, I would say Arkansas and South Carolina might qualify as these guys that we probably never view as capable of winning anything at a high level, but they do have a, a marketability there to their fan base. It doesn't catch Alabama, but, but maybe it moves them up in the national rankings. Are there a few schools that you could see benefiting maybe in, in that world because of that dynamic? specifically because of nil just just a big passionate fan base that is willing maybe to put a few dollars in somebody's pocket for a, a, a local marketing campaign that might give you good roi in which case that coaching staff can go sell that that fan base to the recruiting trade does that, does that make sense does that equation make sense i think what yeah so i so i think what you're getting at is like would there be a fervency out of south carolina the sort of perennial seven five sec school that you might not see it like iowa now that's interesting to me where are you culturally in terms of, uh, you know, a better example is this, like if you want to win more football games, you should probably go to Utah instead of South Carolina, right? Kyle Whittingham, proven coach, can win the conference, da 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 But do people, and I'm not picking on Utah, this is just a hypothetical, are people in Salt Lake as fervent and passionate about, you know, landing that four or five star running back or DB or whatever as South Carolina? Maybe not. I don't know. I'm not, again, I'm not here to shit on. We care more because I think it just means more. It's been the great fucking double truth of all sports. Um, but I think you're onto something there. I think that's possible. You know, I, I do think, and, and, and by the way, to that end, like I've been to Corvallis and that's that Corvallis is the same as, as um, Starkville or, or Columbia for that matter, either Columbia. Um, th that that is a college football culture, right? It's a rural area. It is a you know, it is a lot of people in ag jobs and forestry jobs, and they they rally around the, the Beavers and like they've sucked. But like I promise you, it's I think you might see more people turn out to support that than than you would necessarily at um, maybe some of the Big Ten schools. I'm you know I'm curious. I'm curious. But then also you do have stuff like Stanford. Where, you know, if you go to Stanford's practice facility right now, there's a corporate sponsor or an individual donor sponsor for every room in the building. In other words, if you walk into the QB team meeting room, just where the QBs meet, that is the such and such and, and you know, Mr. and Mrs. or Dr. and Mrs. Blah, 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 room for quarterback, da, da, da. Every single part of that building is endowed. That was their sort of genius way to get the young money involved when Harbaugh and Shaw had, had that thing on the way up. So, I think some of the deeper pocketed institutes, my God, gentlemen, what we should be talking about is will this right the ship at Vanderbilt? Could this actually get the lazy <laughs> entitled money at Vanderbilt to get their ass in order? And it's possible. 
Lame Stream is brought to you by Jaspers. Oh, I like that. You like fake? It was like a play action fake. Uh, you know, some, sometimes you gotta sometimes you gotta switch it up a little bit. I, I appreciate that. Uh, the neighborhood watering hole, the next evolution of the sports bar with great food and free parking over on West End. Jaspers. We we were in there. We were in there to watch, as we said at the top of the show, to watch England Germany do a little uh, do a little lamestream planning, and uh, I have to say, I, I I hadn't tried the picnic burger yet. It's one of the few things I hadn't tried, and it was fantastic. Just a just a great burger and something I really appreciate. And I have needled uh, other sports bars around town for this. Give me a give me a medium rare burger. Give me something with a little pink in the middle. Oh, thank, thank it, it, God. it was it was perfectly cooked. I mean, I, I noticed that. I, I was uh, I was eyeing your meat, Steve. It, easy, easy. <laughs> uh, I looked over. No, I looked over and I pointed and I said that burger. It's cooked exactly right. Tim Corbin would be angry at you, and he would not eat that. But you I'm, got a great burger. I'm not going to name names, but there are places around town where you go, and the, the burger is just like, I mean, it is beyond well done every single time. <laughs> it's like, look, if you're going to have beef, taste the beef. You should be able, you should be, you should be able to taste what you're eating. Come and to Jasper's where you can come, taste what you're eating. <laughs> There's 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 the new slogan. <laughs> we have air conditioning and chairs, and you can taste the food. Come to and Jasper. hey, you can park for free. Uh, it's funny. No, I I love the um. So you know, obviously Deb Paquette is sort of in charge of putting the menu together, and she is obviously a, a part of Four Top and all the other great restaurants in town, Etch and etc. and Char and all these great places. Uh, but they've got some some chefs that work in this kitchen at Jasper's in particular that have some. New Orleans background, somebody from New Orleans. And so you can taste some of that if you like that kind of food, which I do. Uh, I have sort of like the shrimp and goodies is one of my favorite. It's a little spicy, uh, but very refreshing and light. I love it. I've always eaten that. But now I'm kind of transitioning to the Creole roll, which again, when someone from New Orleans makes a Creole roll, it's just going to be better than someone who's not from New Orleans making a Creole roll. I'm sorry. It's just reality. I feel like crayfish have come into my life here in a, in a, in a big way here the last couple of years. And uh, the, the crayfish on that just look spectacular. Is it not pronounced crawfish or as I would call them mud bugs, crayfish crawdads. I mean, there's well, like there's mud, bugs mud, bugs. Is the only, mud bugs is what you call them. I feel like, like 10, di- there's like 10 different things for it. <laughs> I will anyway, just say there's they a, are, just, there's just a little, there's just a little new Orleans, you know, touch in that restaurant. And I no love it. No matter what you no matter what you call them, they are delicious. Yeah, yeah, no, no question about that. Great happy hours, four to six, still every single day, Monday through Friday, and of course the weekly rundown where you get like a really legitimate, awesome deal. I think Thursdays you get burgers uh, and beers. You could get a, a how much was your burger that you're talking about? The picnic burger, like like sixteen bucks, fifteen bucks, something like that. Fourteen bucks. I, I, I think it was fifteen. I'd have to look it up. You get that and like an eight dollar beer. So quick math, uh, 22, $23. Uh, that's like 10 bucks on Thursday. That's like less than half price. It's it's an amazing deal. They've got all those different, they got bubbles and rosé for $5 on Wednesdays, uh, taps and flats on Tuesdays. They got all kinds of great specials and happy hours. So go to Jasper's, still lots of good sporting events to watch, all kinds of good stuff there. Uh, and of course, the, uh, the food, you can taste it. So there's that. They got that going for them. The answer is $15 and, and you get sides. Oh, I so, forgot. It's yeah. a it's a great deal. The charred broccoli, phenomenal. The Tex-Mex black beans, phenomenal. Go check it out. Go to Jasper's.
Well, so so like the great scam in in book publishing has always been, you know, you get somebody to buy like you know a hundred a hundred cases of your books and put them in a garage someplace. I'm I'm wondering if like you know is is Beeman Automotive going to be able to buy like a, like a couple of thousand t-shirts or jerseys with somebody's name on them in order to in order to you know Anheuser Busch try try Anheuser Busch. <laughs> I'm just but instead of I mean but instead of doing that, why not just have why not just have Beeman Automotive take the same amount of money and just have the kid at a meet and greet? Yeah. You know, a lot of this becomes less nefarious. That was the point of all this, was like we can it, it's on the up and up. I mean, look, kids have had no show jobs at car dealerships in Texas and Oklahoma and Alabama and Georgia for years. And so now it's like, all right, well, instead of doing that. Let's just have a signing on Saturday. Like, it's the same thing. Like, it, it, it's literally the same thing that, like, baseball players do in the offseason. Like, I'll be at this card show or I'll be at this, you know, uh, gun expo at the Ag Center. Like, they, they, they want to normalize those revenue models as much as they can. And I think what we've done is we've – look, they've made the black market. They did this. I write about it, but they did it. We talk about it but they did it. And the problem is we've seen all these incredible fanciful ways of circumventing money into recruits pockets and their families. And I think we're all addicted right now to like, how are they going to, how are they going to gain this system? I think honestly, most, I think most instances will be good, normal kind of the kind of endorsement deals that you would see in any other sport. It will look, it'll, you know what it'll look like in a lot of ways, NASCAR, right? If you have the driver of the Bass Pro Shops car, he goes and does an event at the Bass Pro Shop. It's going to look something like that, I think. And if you're in a small community, by the way, like, um, you know, I don't think Murfreesboro applies here. Coastal Carolina, right? Mer in the Myrtle Beach community, if you have someone, um, McCall, right, the quarterback of Coastal Carolina, yeah, he's probably, like, if, if you're going to have that kind of season and, like, beat BYU and, and do all that stuff, like, you're you're going to probably have two or three car dealerships or whatever in the Myrtle Beach area, and you're going to be kind of become a local hero. Um, there are so many local legends like that at the Group of Five level. So many guys that are like, you know, I'm trying to think of more examples, but just you know, um, who was the quarterback at Western Kentucky when they went undefeated for like not undefeated, but they won so many games when. Um, when Brom was there, I'm like that, like that kid could go back and, and it is sort of like a local well, legend. Dan, Dan Lefevre at central Michigan. Yes. Or, or like, yeah. you know, yeah. you know, Garrett Wolf at Northern Illinois. Like we can exactly. keep going with these guys. Right. Um, I, I think, and I think again, to reiterate a point to anyone listening who is scared and concerned about the future, it does not change your experience on Saturday, watching that quarterback play football. It does not do anything. Well, and it's, it's experience. not going to change. It's not going to change the performance. It's not going to change the product. It's really not going to change the product. No, if you if you if you thought it was legitimate before to have UT Martin play Auburn, it's going to be just as legitimate now because because ten kids at Auburn have <laughs> have some sort of endorsement. It's the same damn thing. So so let's go to kind of continuing with this athlete conversation because we saw Kylan Hill last summer during the pandemic sort of enact some change. We had the whole thing with Oklahoma State and Mike Gundy and 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 some of their players, good good football mm -hmm. players. I'm not really sure exactly what actually came of all of that, but this is a PR messaging thing that players are now understanding that their voice has some power. I'm curious how much power you actually think they they really have. 
And do you think all of these changes will lead to schools, conferences, the SEC, perhaps actually allowing a little bit more access to some of these players? Because we can access them right now on their Instagram account. I, I just am curious what you think the results are from a, from a media interaction standpoint. Yeah, no, they're going to have to change that entire, that, that paradigm is going to shift the most. And that's the one where I'll stand and laugh as it burns. Absolutely. Because the ridiculous laws that have been built up over the last 20 years, especially as we really entered the television revenue era to not have access worse than that. You know, it's, it's access for me. It's agency for them. It's the literal, it's, it's a fundamental form of expression for them because before we were talking, we talk about social media with a certain understanding of, again, that it is ubiquitous, right? It was not 10 years ago. We're just a very short amount of time. We're talking about four years. And I have heard this four years from former players. You are told what to say to the T exactly. And it, it, it robs you of agency and self-expression. There is no chance to build a brand. There's no chance to be honest. It is, if anything, what I learned, I learned, the, maybe not the hard way, but I kind of figured it out as I would interview a lot of players is I'm probably doing more damage to them by asking them tough questions than I am benefiting my audience. And it's a sort of a first do no harm scenario sometimes. It depends on what the subject matter is. But what I mean by that is if there's a new coordinator that comes in and a position player is not going to benefit from that change and you're really pressing him about that, he doesn't, this is not the pros. He doesn't have to say like, you know, I'm just going to ride out a year here and figure it out. Or like, you know, he, he doesn't have the, he doesn't have those rights, I guess. He doesn't have, I'm trying to think of the word specifically, but. It is, it certainly it certainly doesn't have that flexibility. I mean, right, right, and he knows he can be buried out of a depth chart and then pushed out of the program. And and before you would just have to transfer down and and whatever minor pro prospect you might have, whatever single digit percentage you had at actually making a living, would have been even more. Would that that would have been compounded? The effect would have been. And now it's different, obviously, because you have transfer rules that are different. So, um, yeah, it, it's been a crime for years, the lack of uh, agency that's been afforded to such a key cog in the entire equation. It's also where the myth-making culture has come from on the coaching side. So that's another thing I think it's going to change dramatically is that we're going to see less and less of that cult of personality on the, you know, this 45-year-old offensive coordinator is a genius. Like, I think that that may take a step back, honestly, because if you look at other leagues and other sports, there's as much, if not more, attention afforded to the labor on the field than there is the labor on the sideline. Who do you think, uh, who do you think among the, uh, among the coaching ranks kind of gets it? Uh, and, and, and where do you think that there's going to be kind of more change uh, in in terms of player empowerment, who's be, who, who's behind right now? That's a good question. I, I think that I was really shocked the way that the messaging got out when Shashevsky announced his retirement. That he like he he's it, it, the way it read to me was that he was sort of signaling basketball's beyond repair. You know, this is it's time for me to leave. You no longer you no longer deserve my presence. And he, but he's one of the most outspoken athlete empowerment coaches ever. I know, which is why I, I, I'm confused again as to like what the methodology was there, or something got lost in translation with the sourcing. But um, it's look, it's it's professional suicide to adopt any kind of hardline stance against this. It's just not going to happen. So, so what's Dabo's strategy then? <laughs> like, what's he doing? 
he's never really been he's been careful we used to think that there was like we used to make jokes at like you know at banner society days and every day should be saturday there was just like some professional sort of verbal get back coach that was like i don't know it was like a surgical implant and he got zapped every time he thought about you know making those kind of statements but i i'll give him a dog collar on (laughs) yeah i mean i'll give him more credit now he i I think he's a little bit more tactical in the approach um their recruiting philosophy i mean Braden, i'm sure you you know this like it's a little bit different than the other mega powers like they're very targeted and very specific and they don't like to reach they really don't like to reach there if they were a pro team they would be the team that doesn't trade doesn't make the big trade up, doesn't make the gaudy free agent signing. They, they're very, very methodical. And I think they will be in this as well. I don't think the other thing too, is that we don't, I I think I'm not saying Dabo gets a good or a bad rap, but I'm saying that uh, his ex players usually evangelize for him too. So, and and that carries a lot more weight than we want to give it. So, all right. So who are the coaches that will age out of all of this stuff? Like, like is Jim, is Jimbo Fisher, gonna be like i can't i just don't want to deal with any of this this crap i'm 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 out of here like like na- name some names here steven come on man you people that are gonna get fed up and leave like to back to steve's question who, who's ahead of the curve on this who's ready and who is gonna do it really well is pj fleck doing it really well right because of his well, yeah i mean I, like I mean, who's they're... who's doing it really well and who is is not gonna ever be able to evolve hmm how much Cro-Magnon is left in the uh, in the college coaching ranks? It's it's just so funny though because I mean I, I can give you a huge list, maybe a majority list of coaches that would that have privately and publicly fought against this in some way, shape, or form. But it, it, it's an almighty dollar issue that like I, you, I really don't think you're going to see public pushback. I tell you what, here's what's going to happen. Here's a good here's my prediction. You're going to see a coach on a losing streak. You're going to see some coach in a pressure situation at one of those aspirant sort of P5 schools, like a South Carolina or something, Ole Miss, whatever. And they get they, they take a couple knocks and they're on they're on a losing streak or they're on the hot seat. And then they're going to they're going to have a refrain in a press conference where they say, you know, the sports just, you know, it'll be kind of like a John L. Smith moment or kind of like a Jim Morris senior moment or something like they're going to have a refrain where they mention we just can't get the effort out of these kids da, 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 da. and it's going to be a, a a veiled semi-veiled or not veiled at all shot at at the NIL compensation and then those guys yeah those guys are going to be dead in the water look motivating players might be a little bit different i don't think it's going to be dramatically different because i don't think anybody i really don't 99.5% of these athletes are not going to be making a livable wage off this so i really don't think it's a nightmare scenario now you're asking me to say who's going to benefit from this um, or who's ready for this. A lot of coaches in the last couple of years that are younger have taken a more whole hog approach to what we call player development. So it's not just about the athleticism. It's not just about their football X and O knowledge. The reason they've done this is not out of the kindness of their hearts or some sort of Judeo-Christian value set or something like that. They've done it because the more well-rounded the individual, usually the more grateful, usually the more mindful, usually the less prone to doing some real stupid shit when they're off the field and like, you know, a, a party weekend in April on campus. This has been, I mean, the more you approach them as human beings, usually the more mindful they are of their obligation to you and their commitment to, you know, 
not waving a gun over a fight, you know, in, in a bar parking lot. So, um, you've this is, seen this is Clark. This is Clark Lee's strategy at Vanderbilt. Yeah, I mean Clark Lee's like, like Clark Lee's going to be the last coach I'd ever pick to say something negative about this. I, I think it probably doesn't matter to him, to be honest. Um, I, I think that you know what the good ones are going to do. They're not going to worry about this. Because if they're at good institutions, there's going to be an apparatus set up for this. It's going to be probably correlating with the recruiting process, right? And it will be another department that they have to manage. And they'll probably afford particular time, you know, a small amount of time in the week during the season, and then maybe a day a week or whatever, like not a full day. But there'll be times in, in the calendar in which they sit down and, and look at the process until you really start seeing coaches say, we lost the kid because other school presented this sort of branding package, you know, like, look, there's some fear right now. There's, there's not a lot of Cro-Magnon theory on this right now. Everyone just knows that the industry's going this way and they got to shut up. There's some fear right now that like Phil Knight is just going to crush everybody. And you're going to see Oregon with a roster of just killer players because I mean, who better to brand you in the world than Nike. Right. So there's concern about that. And there's concern at schools that don't necessarily have that mindset in their booster core. And if there's not, there should be. I, you know, uh, it's really felt like Pat Fitzgerald has already squashed one union. You're really curious to see how he acts three or four years from now. He may be my pick to slip up and say some dumb shit first. Uh, how, if, if it happened in Northwestern, it would just be fine. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, Michigan. So, as a veteran who's done this now a million times, how do you cover media days? And what is the purpose for you personally when you are there? And what are you trying to accomplish? I'll stay in my, I, I, my purpose is not going. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know what's left. I don't, I don't know what you get out of it. I don't know what you get out of it. I know I don't work a beat the same way that like other guys do in this industry, like gals. You know, I'm not, I'm not running to file uh, eight inches. Uh, you probably can't say that anymore. People don't know what the hell I'm talking about. I think I'm being perverted by saying that, right? <laughs> Steve, how many words is that? How many uh, words is eight inches? You usually think like between 25 and 35 per, per, right. uh, per column in. So, you know, let's say 400 words. So just if you're listening to this and you think I'm being, you think I'm being some sort of scandalous person, we used to be assigned word count by column inches on a newspaper. So they'd say, I need like, I need 10 to 12 on this, or I need 16 inch, a 16 inch feature for Saturday or Sunday or whatever. So I just realized you can't say that anymore. Um, Cause no one worries about that. Um, I'm not, I'm not there to do that kind of stuff anymore. I, I mean, there's, there's some glad handing that could, that could happen. And I still haven't decided if I'm going to skip all of them, Braden, but no, that nonsense in Hoover. I don't want to go shake hands with people that either don't like me, rip me off without, without, you know, attribution or, or, you know, or trying to get a job or I, I don't want that crap. I don't want that. So the Hoover one specifically is designed for TV. Now, let me not sound too much like a yeah. sourpuss. Yeah. Yeah. It's designed for you, the fan at home to consume on television. And they've, they've pulled away all of it's, the little, it's designed for wall to wall on their own network now. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So all the little quiet moments where reporters get work done, they, they've kind of smoothed those out to where like, I'm receiving roughly the same professional experience that you're receiving as a casual experience. So that does not behoove me to be there. Also, I'm not from an outlet that they want to court, so they're not going to miss yeah. me. 
I, I think it's interesting though, because I do feel like my biggest shift mentally in covering the sport for almost 16, 17 years now w- were those tiny moments with the players at, at SEC yeah. days that, that were the most impactful on my career and how I view the sport and how I see the things. When I read about Chris Connolly going to Georgia as, a, as an eighth grade reading level and then leaving Georgia as a published children's book author, like that, that is, or Malcolm Mitchell, I should say, I, I get my like activist Georgia wide receivers confused, but, but like Malcolm Chris Mitchell, Conley made, Chris Conley made an entire Star Wars film. Right, right. but exactly. In, in Sanford Stadium. Two brilliant guys doing brilliant things that the SEC never really allows us to see, except for that one 15 minute of, of intimacy you get in a room but, that no it, one sees. And then, but that goes back to the other stuff that we were talking about earlier. Like, who was the Alabama D lineman and got drafted by Washington? He built a fucking gaming PC. Do you know how hard it is to do that? I can't do that. Like, I'm a gamer. He built, and I'm not saying, if you don't understand what I'm saying, I'm saying, like, he built a computer, a high spec computer that was very expensive in his dorm room specifically to up, like, it was his gaming rig. We didn't know about that until, like, sometime between the last regular season game he played and the draft. And it's like, because I think my uh, uh, Casa Grande, Mike at uh, AL, I think he's, yeah, he got that story. And I, I, I asked him, I want to say after the fact, I was like, did you know about that? Like the four years or three years he was in Tuscaloosa? And like, that's the way the media, like, it's so stupid. Like, how is, why is that not a story when the kid's a sophomore? Like, why, why can't we add flesh to these people? But specifically as it, when it comes to Hoover, those moments now, it used to, so it used to be if you had a good relationship with the school, which believe it or not, I actually have a couple good relationships with SEC schools, um, not many, but uh, they would come up and be like, hey, I really want you to meet X, like kid X, whatever. And I really, because they were, you know, they want to develop that relationship, right? And they want to have that, that conversation with you so you can then kind of go proselytize on their behalf. But what happens, the last time I was in Hoover, it was, Hey man, good to see you. We got to go tape bumpers for this network. Uh, the kids have to do, they have to do uh, this mini interview for the SEC work. Then they've got to go do this for CBS SEC. Then they got to go do this for the digital thing. And, and these are things that they cannot compromise on or opt out of. They're all contractual. So I'm not there for that. Right. I don't care about that. Everybody laughs at me, but if you go to conference USA media days, okay. If you're listening to this and you're a young reporter and you want to cover college football, don't go to Hoover. Go find out. I think Conference USA is doing it in Dallas. I think Sunbelt still does it in the um, mezzanine of the Superdome. Go to those events. Meet those coaches. Because there will be a coach standing there, like a dude at a job fair, like in front of a table, for 45 minutes and no one's saying a word to them. And you go talk to them. And you build a relationship. Because they're going to be bigger. They're going to be somewhere else the next day. How I did this in my career is it's not voodoo. <laughs> you go where people aren't and you invest in margins where people aren't looking. It's not that hard. You don't go stand in a crowd and ask stupid ass questions and take selfies and be like, well, this is all of us and Johnny Manziel. And Oh, there goes Paul Feinbaum. You want to do that shit. Then, then that's not the job. Before we get out of here, I, I, I feel like I need to ask you about your, uh, budding or, um, expansive, Atlanta Hawks fandom these days. <laughs> what's it like to be what's it like to be a Hawks fan? Let me tell you, let me tell you, you two uppity assholes. Let me tell you something right now. Okay. You both look. 
you took my wide receiver <laughs> and I'm pissed. Um, I'm a Packers fan. What the hell are you talking about? My uh, greatest player in franchise history just doesn't like us anymore. What are you talking about? Yeah, it is pretty brutal. Um, no, I was talking about more about it. It's funny because never in my life, and I've been in Nashville. So I lived in Nashville more than I've lived anywhere else in my life. And I never thought that, like, because I'm from Georgia, that being an Atlanta fan would ever, like, come in conflict with Nashville. <laughs> and you guys know, like, I'm a huge Predators fan. And I, I, I maintain a 50-50 MLS um, support for Nashville and Atlanta. Ooh, that's tricky. Um, yeah, it is, it is tricky, but also I want to be able to take my kids to those matches and not have them just sort of sit there like their grumpy sports writer dad like this. And so, um, <laughs> sorry, it's a visual medium. Um, but uh, the Hawks thing, is, it, um, it's sort of pre, it, it, it's, it is sort of um, pre-awakening Predators in that like, you know, the team is there. Imagine that period of time stretched out for about 35 years. <laughs> the team is there. You know, the team is there. They've never given you given you any functional reason to invest. All right, you want on paper you want to be invested, but even as a somewhat cautious consumer, you know that like every time they look, this is the first time they've they, they won a game in the Eastern Conference Finals, the first time in history. Yeah. The other night, and then they, they've lost the next two. But what I'm getting at is like it's just strange to have a team that just existed, just was just sort of like a comatose patient for so long and then become exciting and dynamic. And I think the hard thing for me as an NBA fan was that like, you're just, I was taught from the outset by my friends who are NBA writers, like, Oh no, 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 you'll never see a championship. You'll never have a chance to it because there's like four teams that build superstars, build superstar rosters and they dominate the postseason conversation. You should cheer for players. And I was like, no, dude, I'm from Atlanta. Like, I can't take the brand off of me. Like, I, I mean, the literal brand. Like, it's the scarlet letter. So, like, I have to wait for this team to be good for me to be fully engaged in the league. And so now that they are, yeah, it's kind of like, I don't know what to do with my hands. Like, it, it, it is strange, definitely. So, and yeah, I just, I have seen one championship in my lifetime in any sport, period. One championship. And that was 20... I don't know how long 1995. How long? How long ago was that? It was a long time ago. I, I've I've seen two in all of my teams, and that was '96 and 2010. But otherwise, I have the exact same issue uh, with uh, Knicks, Mets, Predators. <laughs> you know all that stuff. The Predators, the the cup loss would have been a lot harder for me if if I had not like six months prior been in Houston for 28 to three. So, and also like, and yeah, I think true. Braden, you and I talked about this, like when the Preds got there, they were so hurt. I think even the city was so happy and we were, and it changed, I really do think it changed Nashville forever for the better in so many ways. It changed our identity. Like it, it, it's definitely the thing I'm most proud of as a Nashvilleian when it comes to sports, at least. I, I, don't, still, I, don't, I don't think if they won the cup, it would be the same. I think if they won the cup, it would be great. It would be a huge party. It would not be the same as that run in nine, in 2017. Well, I think the energy and the desire now are there because they didn't. They were sort of deprived, and I think now we're on this path. Because I'm, I mean, I'll be honest with you, like you, I've, I've been to Tampa many times, and like that's just not the same energy and vibe, and, and they're a powerhouse. So, yeah. um, I still, you know, to that end, I would say this: I would still like to live in a Nashville and see a functional, competitive Vanderbilt football team that is somehow, if they could just solve that trick of of bringing in. X percent of the transient population to where they just care a little bit, what would that be like? 
you know, what would that stadium be like if it, it had any life in it whatsoever? Let me let me let me go let me go one step further. I'd like to see a Vanderbilt that could find X percent of its own natural fan base <laughs> and get them to show up for games. I mean, that's the I mean, that's the problem is is that right. they're, they're they're fighting civil rights lawsuits and curing cancer. They don't have time for football. It's uh, it's how the fan base goes. I will say, though, to your point earlier in the show, Stephen, it is about activating the resources. And if they do activate the resources and they can go out and recruit their own guys in their own way, holistically, the way you're talking about, they can win six, seven games. And guys like me who root for another SEC team, but will always wear black and gold on the other days of the year, sure. on, on the other falls, I am the guy you're talking about. Like there needs to be more of me that goes to watch the game every Saturday until my alma mater shows up. And then I switch teams. I mean, I'm, I went to college in the SEC. I would, I would become a Vanderbilt fan just because of the proximity. Right. And I think honestly, like I told Clark Lee this and I told Candace this, like, I want to believe. I, I, and I don't say this to other schools. Cause I know what they're like, like the, the blueprint that you have, I want to believe that that's functional, but it's never been functional in college. It's in college football specifically. It, very rarely. I know Notre Dame fans are screaming as I say this, but like to me, that, that that's a more disingenuous claim. If you want to be the best academically and then provide the NFL experience, which is playing in the Southeastern Conference, you are the only school with that yeah. chance. Yeah. So which is interesting, which is interesting because because they have they have absolutely done that in baseball. Yeah. I mean, oh my God, they've changed. I mean, they changed that sport completely. Yeah. No, yeah. slight, slightly different uh, budget line items there, but Northwestern well, sure. Northwestern putting the Fitz Carlton on Lake Michigan is a is a is a nice thing for Vanderbilt to pay attention to is all I would say. Just just pay attention to, to what they're doing there. Well, and I, I'll, I'll leave you with this because I got to go. I, I would say this. Um, internally at Vanderbilt, I think they bristle at the Stanford blueprint comparison and I think they, they they are much more mindful of the Northwestern comparison. And I think secretly in their heads, what they want, what they, what they don't want to say out loud to us is they think by just by virtue of Nashville, Chicago. Have you ever seen what Chicago prep football looks like? Oh, they yeah. believe just being this far south, they could take that Northwestern yeah. blueprint and actually show more vertical speed, physical size. Like they could be a better version of Northwestern in this league. I agree. And that's a great place to end it. Vanderbilt will win championships. Stephen, you, you heard it here first from Stephen Godfrey. Always a pleasure, my friend. Great to talk with you. Go Hawks. We'll talk soon. Thank you so much for joining us and being so gracious with your time. Thanks, guys. Well, folks, uh, that was Stephen Godfrey. I, I I feel smarter. I'm a little tired <laughs> after listening to that, but I am I, I'm I'm a little angry. I'm a little tired, and I'm smarter. That's what happens when you listen to Stephen Godfrey. Uh, I, I, I love me some Godfrey, uh, just one of the, he's a, he's a fantastic writer. If you haven't read his long form stuff, you know, go find, go, go find pieces of it. I'll, I'll set you up here in a second. <laughs> and, um, it, it's interesting. And, we, and we've talked about this with him before, you know, he is less interested in, in the, the thing that like the, like the news of, of, of the minute, he is much more interested in everything around that and like trying to explain all of that. And, and he really is one of the best guys trying to explain the college football world in kind of like all of its glory and, you know, all up with all of its warts, just a, just a hell of a writer and a, and a really good guy. And a tiny little prediction from him 
that it's the first time in his career he's felt like the, the Power Five could actually break away. Just a tiny little kernel in there of, man, this actually could happen. I'm not so sure. And that's not been a thing that almost anybody has ever actually believed. So, uh, yeah, go check out all of his work everywhere, all over the place. Banner Society, SB Nation, Vox, you name it. He's doing all kinds of great stuff. Um, you know, all of his, that, that whole crew, man, they just are all amazing. So that leads us into, um, of course, our, our recommendations, which this is an older story. It's from 2014, but I was sort of reading, I went back and reread it this week after having the conversation with him. Cause I wanted to re familiarize myself with all the different elements of sort of how athletes are getting compensated. Right. It's obviously very on, on topic for this week. And I recommended it to a few of my buddies and they're like uh, huge college football fans. And they're like, I haven't read this. And I was like, what, what planet are, have you been on? This is the definitive, I, I think, and you tell me what you, what you think. Stephen Godfrey wrote the definitive investigative reporting on how cheating happens in college football. And it's called meet the Bagman: 10 rules for paying college football players. It's on banner society. If you just Google search sec Bagman, you'll, you'll get to the story. It's not, it's long, but it's not super long. When you have sit downs with bagmen who are paying literally physically paying players in, in front of his eyes, I'm sorry, no one else has told that story better than Stephen Godfrey. No, it's a great piece. Uh, and like I said, he's a hell of a reporter. And to be able to tell this this kind of story, this is the thing, you know, we're talking about athlete compensation. This is one of the oldest forms of compensation <laughs> under the table. And uh, just kind of like how it happens within. Uh, Habit happens within. Uh, I, I think he describes it as. Does he say it's a? It's a. It's, it's sort of like program. A, it's or, like a. It's like a network. And he and he he visited with multiple different SEC bag men, and th- th- there's a geographic network that is created, sort of without the coaches knowing, over decades for every program. And and he sort of goes into detail and actually visits with all of these these actual bag men, um, and sort of lays out how to go about doing it. And, and it's just. Uh, it's just anyway, fascinating. Yeah, it's a hell of a piece. You should, you know, if you're if you want a want a good primer on what Godfrey can do, that's that that that's piece <laughs> number one. All right, what you got for the good folks out there? So, uh, so we have recommended, or at least I have recommended, the show Bosch on uh, Amazon Prime before. It is back uh, for its final season, season seven. Uh, my wife and I are currently trying not to binge it. As a matter of fact, we have limited ourselves to just a single episode per day in an effort to sort of make it last. And, and so you should obviously go see that. Uh, one, of the, one of the best parts of that series is the music for it. Um, and so what I want to recommend is on Spotify, someone has accumulated all of the music that, appe- that appears in the show. It's one of the, th- one of the th- things I really love about Spotify. I hope this is not kind of like a Spotify ad. This official series playlist that, they, that they've assembled gets like all these deep cuts and it's like this like is it a lot of like jazz because bosch the the character listens to a lot of jazz right it's a it's a lot of jazz and it's a lot of like west coast jazz which uh buddies of mine who who are jazz aficionados or or jazz players tell me is like this kind of like subset that appeared in like this Mm. kind of like very specific time period it's like these guys like art pepper so so and and uh, others so, so like Harlem and New Orleans jazz musicians would look down on California jazz, or do they yeah, appreciate I mean, California jazz? I'm I'm out of my depth here. I I don't know. I just <laughs> all I know is that, all I know is I like the, the the music that's in it, and it's paired with um, a, a lot of kind of noir, kind of alternative kind of stuff, including the you know the, the lead uh, 
the, the song they use in the, in the main titles, which, by the way, are the best titles on on television. You should go watch an episode of this just to watch the opening credits because they are they are hands down better than anyone else. I will agree with you 100% that the music is phenomenal and the cinematography is great in Bosch. I, I, you, I, I watched them all and we watched them all and we will watch this latest season, but I, it is not like a top 15, top 20 type drama for me. So I, we, I, this, I, know, this, I know this is fighting words for you and I apologize uh, you, for, you, to spring you, this on you. But This is just one of many things you're wrong about. But the, <laughs> but the uh... You put chips on a sandwich. I'm sorry you're wrong. No, you are wrong. <laughs> right, uh, I, will say, I will say this though. Can I, I? I don't know how much you like Yellowstone. There, love Yellowstone. They I, haven't given us. A, they haven't given us an, a, a premiere date yet. You want to talk about a show that absolutely dominates music, especially for Nashville music mu- music fans. Oh, it's great. The music in Yellowstone is some of the best music I have ever seen in any television show ever, ever. Oh. So if you give, give me the Spotify playlist for Yellowstone, sign me up. Well, I mean, they've got Americana artists as actors on the show, so <laughs> I mean, it like, was kind of built for you. If yeah, if you want some Coulter Wall right next to your Jason Isbell uh, and your <laughs> and your Sturgill Simpson, you're good to go there on that. So check out the latest season of Bosch. Check out the Bosch music Spotify playlist. Right? Is that what we're saying? Yeah, Ch- check it out. I mean, it is just stock full. It's chock full of music discovery for you at least that's what it is for me it's things that it's things that you're gonna you're gonna hear like five or six things out of it and go man i'm gonna Hmm. go explore like you know this person's other stuff it's art pepper yeah (laughs) i I love the daughter in that show who just like knows everything about jazz i'm like god i want my kids to be like that um (laughs) without all the demons that bosh has created for them of course uh however um also go make sure you're reading stephen godfrey of course special thanks to him for joining us read all of his stuff you listen to wherever he talks and watch anything that he's on video just do just consume all of the stephen godfrey that you possibly can Uh, of course special thanks to our wonderful and amazing sponsor Jaspers, the next evolution of the sports bar, free parking, great food, great menu, great burger, great wings, great collar poppers, great sides, like literally everything about this place is great. So go to Jaspers. Steve Cavendish, where can people find you? They can find me on Twitter at Scavendish. Braden, where can people find you on the socials? At Braden Gall on Twitter, at Braden D. Gall on Instagram. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Please share it with somebody. Do some physical damage to the subscribe button, please, on your phone. But do not send us the bill because we don't have lawyers. For Steve Cavendish, my name is Braden Gall. Thank you to Stephen Godfrey. Thank you guys all for listening. This has been Lamestream Sports on the 440 Sports Network. <laughs>